This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. You know, it's always a great day when you can discuss both Tony D'Angelo and Brad Marchand in one conversation. And we're about to now with Greg Wyshynski of MVSW and ESPN. How are you today, Wish? Tony D'Angelo spears Corey Perry. Is there? Uh, is this your classic rooting for a tie scenario when it comes to the Department of Player Safety? Let them fight each other. Let them fight. Let them fight to the death. <laughs> well, that was the thing coming out of last night, right? Social media is like, oh, okay, uh, how did, you know, how, how is it that Corey Perry is like, like what, what do you have to do to make Corey Perry a sympathetic character? You know, I was just saying to Charlie O'Connor at The Athletic a couple of seconds ago, like if this is, you know, Cam York or Travis Sanheim or someone else on the Flyers blue line that does this, it's probably not as huge a story, but I mean, you know, the cherry on top here is that it's it's uh, it's Tony D'Angelo and we all just sort of roll around in the catnip involved in this one. Um, before we get there, let's pause on that because that is, you know, the story coming out of last night. Right now, I'm interested in your uh, your Q&A with Brad Marchand. And hmm. uh, I, wa- I want to read I want to read something here. Oh, please do. Um, I'm sure it's great for all of our all of our, all of our listeners. It's, it's great. I mean, the question is very mediocre, but you know, a mediocre <laughs> man is always in his place. But the answer, but the answer is excellent. <laughs> oh, excellent. Okay. <laughs> this is Brad Marchand. the uh, The All Star Game is trending in the wrong direction. Guys want to be in spots that are enjoyable to be in. They want to be in nice cities or warm cities. It's a long season. The game itself is a small portion of that weekend. You want to be able to enjoy it a bit when everyone else is going on trips and enjoying themselves during the break. You don't want to be stuck in Edmonton when it's minus 30 or in Detroit. You want to be able to enjoy it. Quick thought on that one. I want to blow it out a, a little bit more than, than Marchand gets into here in a second. But your thoughts on that comment from Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins Stanley Cup champion? I will, I will start by saying I hope uh, people do read the full Q&A with Brad because it's good. Uh, a lot of good stuff on it the is. Bruins success. We discuss who his favorite Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle is and all of the other pressing issues Hard-hitting. that yep. you care about. Um, I'm torn <laughs> on it because... I obviously want the All-Star weekend to be as good as possible. And to be as good as possible, you need buy-in from the players. And you're going to get more buy-in from the players, both in attendance and in enthusiasm, if you're in a place the players want to be. I think one of the more astute things that Marshawn said in that answer was, you got to give something that these guys can hang on to when they look at their Instagram and see that all of their friends are in like the Maldives during this break <laughs> for the yep. all-star game, right? Like you got to give yep. them something that they can yep. hold on to and know that they're spending their break uh, with a little bit of R and R to go along with the, uh, with the, the showmanship of the all-star game. That being said, I am somebody who believes the all-star game, much like the winter classic, much like the stadium series is something that can come to your town as a traveling roadshow and become the thing that week for hockey. You know, I still remember the Carolina All-Star Game, Merrick, where where the the traveling roadshow hit Raleigh and literally took over that city. Took over that city for a week. Banners all over Mm -hmm. the streets and, you know, events all over the place. And, like, it was such a big deal. And, And Raleigh is not one of the places that I think would be on Brad Marchand's approved destination list for All-Star Game venues for the players, but it is a place where having that event there might have made a new fan or two. 
you know, energized the hockey market there, gave people a chance to experience things as hockey fans they had not gotten a chance to, like, you know, taking a picture next to the Stanley Cup or whatever. So there's a part of me that wants it to be a traveling roadshow, but there's also a part of me that acknowledges to maximize the potential fun of All-Star Weekend, you kind of have to put it in places the players want to be. So one of the things, uh, I'm sure you caught wind of this as well, one of the things that was going around uh, at the most recent All-Star Weekend in Florida was the idea of the NHL creating, I don't know, five or si- a five or six market rotation mm-hmm. of the quote-unquote, as Brad Marchand would you know like to say, places that are enjoyable to be in. And it was, you know, places that are sunny, certainly, places that have nice weather. It would include, you know, large cities that are exciting and have a vibrant nightlife. And we think of spots like New York City, that would be the obvious one. But the other towns would be like, you know, it'd be the the sunny Florida markets, some California markets, you know, Vegas. I would imagine Dallas might be in that mix as well. Um, it, it is a tricky balance because, as you well know, the NHL uses things like the All-Star Game or the draft, um, these tentpole events that the NHL has created as cookies. You know, like, I, I don't know what, like, I don't know what the NHL, quote-unquote, owed St. Louis, but they gave mm-hmm. them the All-Star Game for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know what the actual thing was, but they got it for a reason. You can be pretty sure that, you know, whenever the Ottawa Senators' sale is complete, that they're getting something. They're getting right. a draft or they're getting, like, I know, I know they had an all-star, you know, a few years ago. That was the all-star where we were all uh, concerned about Sidney Crosby's neck slash um, concussion situation. Uh, where you and I had that really great MVSW meetup where we all huddled into a corner and watched <laughs> hockey fight videos, which was a lot of fun, you, me and Leahy. Um, but like that, that, that's how these events are used, right? Like these things are like, hey, if you do this, you know, the NHL would look favorably on that. And I don't know when it comes time to decide where the draft is going to go. Maybe we'd be warmer to your market if you did, you know, X, Y, Z. You know what I mean? Like that's oh, kind of how the NHL you mean how, But from a player's you, point of view, like I, I get yeah. it from a player's point of view, you want to go somewhere where you want to go. Right. Do you mean how Seattle already has a winter classic? You mean like that kind of thing happening, for example? <laughs> Do you mean like that? And how Vegas has already had the all-star? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. yeah oh, oh, oh. Like I that. mean, yeah. and, and don't. Exactly don't, like I mean, that, actually. <laughs> right. Don't sleep on this. I mean, like if, if it does come to fruition, we're going to have an all-star game or something in Tempe within six years. Um, if that arena ever gets built, hundred percent, yeah, so hundred percent, we will. That, yes, but your totally. point, your point's taken is that like it's so you've had three competing things. You have the responsibility of the NHL to bring its product to its markets in a way that goes beyond simply yep. just like the visiting team. You have the responsibility to the players to make sure that their experience at All Star Weekend and that the NHL pours millions of dollars into making sure that those accommodations and, and, and events and everything else for these players and their families are top notch, but you also have to, you know, specifically tend to their venue needs and, and their geographic needs. And the third thing is, like you said, um, the, the, the dance that you do with a new owner or the dance that you do with a team that just built its new arena um, and, and yep. the incentives that come with that. So to the point, and again, like I just made the Tempe thing. I mean, I think Bettman actually explicitly said that the All-Star game would come to Arizona if they built this arena. 
or the draft. So, I mean, like, totally. it's definitely carrots in these municipal negotiations as well. So it's a lot of masters to serve, but I guess the ultimate question is, Merrick, is which one do you want to serve the most? What's the most important one for you? Is it the players? Is it the owners? Or is it the markets? Well, for me, it's the players. Okay. Uh, you know what? Mm. My default has always been, you know, for the players because this is them, you know, uh, you know, doing something on behalf of, of the NHL. But maybe my default shouldn't be that. Maybe it should be the markets because this thing is for this thing is for kids and sponsors. So my mm -hmm. default is is the markets. But this is very much a carrot um, for NHL owners. Um, and let's not forget too. I always I go out of my way to say this, and I always go out of my way to remind myself of this on a near daily basis working uh, the job that I do. Gary Bettman's number one job is increasing franchise value. Mm -hmm. That is the job. That's why things like the All-Star Game and the draft are used as cookies. That is the carrot in front of the mule. Do this, do this, do this. The carrot's right there, the carrot's right there in order to enhance franchise values around the league to the point where you know the Ottawa Senators might go for like 850 or 900 million dollars here wish and maybe even more who am i who am i to, to 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 maybe even come in conservative on that so i think from the commissioner's office it's franchise value serve the owners for me this is this is a fan thing but if you talk to a player they'll tell you yeah man all my boys are in cabo and you know here i am and you know freezing and i can't go outside yeah yeah, that Ottawa sale price really depends on how much Ryan Reynolds gets for free guy too, I guess, is what we'll have to, have to wait on to see. The, <laughs> the, I, I tend to go with the market as the, the markets as the answer there. But the one thing that you and I are kind of not centralizing in this discussion, and, and maybe it's because we have to dance around it, is that both of our employers treat the All-Star Game as a television event. And... The success yep. of that event, viewership-wise, does not always sync up with that being the priority. And we've seen it happen with the Winter Classic. We've seen it happen with other events in the NHL where you we've, we've talked about how the television audience is not as vital as what's happening on the ground, be it attendance, be it merch sales, be it everything else that comes with like the Winter Classic. Like, so... Is the All-Star Game in that same bucket? Or is the All-Star Game, is the importance of the All-Star Game as a television product so vital in comparison to the Winter Classic, for example, that you have to have Crosby, you have to have Ovi, you have to have these stars that might not go to Edmonton, but they will go to LA? Whew. First of all, to, I, I want to drill on the, on the one thing about you know uh, the companies where we work and how invested they are in the All Star because and I, and again I wasn't part of the negotiations and I'm probably going to get a slap on, I'm going to get a slap on my wrist for saying this but I looked <laughs> at what happened at the skills competition and I say to myself like it looks like someone wanted to overproduce this for television. And I can only imagine, like, you know, being there is one thing to watch them, but then taking so long for replays, dragging the thing out, uh, you know, overproducing, overthinking. 
um, not getting, you know, focusing on, you know, the hockey aspects of it, trying to make it a TV show that doesn't necessarily translate for the people that have the nerve to buy tickets and are there watching that thing. I don't know what the solution is, Greg, but I came away from Florida thinking that it felt like this was overproduced by an overly ambitious TV producer. The, the solution's easy. Because honestly, I, I think after the last two seasons, the recorded events work. I, I like them. I, I think they're they're fun. Yeah, I like that um, too. And, and the more invention you can get into it and the more that you give these guys a chance to know that, hey, it's, it's on tape. If you screw up, it's going to be all right. Uh, the better it's going to be. The, the solution is simple, is, is you have to give people catharsis. If you watch the first few rounds of Fastest Skater, you, you want to see the last round of Fastest Skater. And in fact, on that event, yeah. you're, you're telling a guy to like stand down for, for two hours before skating another lap, which isn't necessarily the best thing for them. So it's just a matter, you just deliver, deliver the finale when the people have been trained to expect it. And I, I think the entire All-Star game would have jumped a letter grade. But again, I... I, I it's a real tough one because I think that you want the stars there, but you also want fans around North America to get a chance to see this come to their town. And I don't know which one should yeah. be more important. All right. Um, another aspect, because, and I, again, like Greg mentioned earlier, I really encourage people to read this Q&A with Brad Marchand because there is a lot here, <laughs> not just the all-star stuff, but, but... Um, I think when you talked about the success of the Boston Bruins right now, the one of the answers that he gives, like even though he talks about Jim Montgomery, it's impossible not to think of Bruce Cassidy. So right. he talks about <laughs> with Montgomery coming in and giving a new refreshing look to the group, I think some of the younger guys kind of eased up a little bit and are feeling good about themselves. Again, <laughs> he's talking about Montgomery, but yeah. the way that he talks about Montgomery, it's impossible not to think about Cassidy. I'm glad you picked up on that. You know what I found really fascinating about that answer is that when Cassidy took over for Claude Julian, one of the things that was said was that the young players that weren't getting a shot under Claude were going to get a yes. shot under yep. Cassidy, because Cassidy was coming from the AHL. And it was that classic AHL yep. to NHL thing where uh, my guys will get a shot. You know, we saw it with John Cooper. We saw it with Bruce Boudreau. Sure. We've seen it many, many times when those guys Bruce make Boudreau. that transition. And now, <laughs> at the end of his tenure, he's, be <laughs> he's become what we all feared. He's become the curmudgeon screaming behind the scenes and crushing the spirits of the youngsters. I mean, or, or so we are led to believe, yeah. reading between the lines of Brad Marchand's comments. You become what you hate. Yeah. You become what you hated when you, uh, the, when, when you come in. The other interesting thing he said vis-a-vis -vis coach versus coach, and he didn't explicitly, again, he, he's not mentioning Cassidy by name in any, any of this, but he also talked about the concept of accountability. And he explicitly said that what... Montgomery did was he came in and he demanded accountability and attention to detail from the entire roster, from the, the most veteran guy on the team 
all the way down. And, and Marshawn said that, like, sometimes you see a guy come in and accountability ends with the third line, right? Like, it, it's I'm going to beat up these guys, yeah. make an example of these guys. Yeah. I, yes. I don't have to worry yes. about upsetting the guys that make the most money or that have curried the most favor with ownership. But I'm going to make an example of these lower-level guys. And apparently Montgomery did not do that, did the opposite of that, came to camp and demanded detailed attention from the entire roster and won the respect of that team in the process as, as another point of demarcation, I think, from Cassidy's tenure there. So sp- speaking of coaches, you and I um... – you and I love doing this, y'all, the, uh, the alternative universe of the NHL. <laughs> you know, someone pointed this out to me a while ago, and I, I want to share it with you now. Sure. Because uh, we all sort of trace back to when an event actually started. And it's hard because it's like saying, okay, where does history start? Where did this event actually begin? Like mm-hmm. if you're going to talk about, you know, NHL expansion 1976 or 1967 rather where do you begin the conversation like where does the conversation about expansion actually begin so it's it's really hard and sometimes it's arbitrary and I know that this example that I'm going to raise here might be a little bit arbitrary but stick with me on it okay (laughs) Okay, okay. so this is what one person told me and I, I, I really have thought about this a ton and ultimately it goes nowhere but this is how I amuse myself when I'm walking my dog so, to me, the pivotal moment <laughs> in that Carolina-Boston series, and it has uh-huh. an effect today in the NHL, was when Andrei Svechnikov hit Hampus Lindholm. Because the Hampus Lindholm is still in that series. For my money, there's still a real good chance that the Boston Bruins, I think a lot of people, that the Boston Bruins win that series. Hmm. Now, even though they didn't win that series... You know, Sweeney still wasn't planning on firing Bruce Cassidy. As a matter of fact, quite the opposite. Mm-hmm. You know, that was one of those, you know, situations like, you know, Vancouver had decades and decades ago when, you know, the the general manager said, I'm not going to fire this coach. And essentially ownership said, now, listen, there's no reason for two people to lose their jobs today. <laughs> so this one person told me, because a great point, if Hampus Lindholm doesn't get eliminated from that series... Jim Montgomery's probably coaching Vegas right now. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Because Cassidy stays, DeBoer is still on his way to Dallas, but Montgomery is coaching the Vegas Golden Knights. Well, there's another and wrinkle to knowing that. Knowing now about... Okay, go. There's another wrinkle to that, is that it's not, a, it's not a clean line, Montgomery to Vegas, because the guy that Vegas was enamored with was Paul Maurice. And so are we assuming that Paul Maurice still goes to Florida? Mm. Let's just, let's assume he does. I believe I think I, I think you're I, I think I, I, I'm of I'm of the belief that and well first of all, like so many of them are falling over themselves for Barry Trotz to begin with. Right. But I, I think that one of their prime targets was Jim Montgomery. Sure. Could happen. So Montgomery to Vegas, Cassidy's still in Boston. And DeBoer in Dallas. Do Bergeron and Krejci come back if Cassidy's still in Boston? Aha. 
I was hoping you got us there because <laughs> so much of so much so much of that move, like you look what happens, and that's why the that's why that answer from like I love this interview because Marshan is like first of all I want to call Marshan whatever you want, a great hockey player, b really thoughtful guy, mm -hmm. like an incredibly thoughtful guy, and even just like the two sentences of you know with Montgomery coming in coming in when someone comes in someone else exits like right away there's the establishing of bruce cassidy giving a new refreshing look like everything in this answer is a shot at bruce cassidy and i'm sorry he may say oh no i didn't mean it. no everything here is a shot at bruce cassidy when with montgomery coming in giving a new refreshing look to the group i think some of the younger guys kind of eased up a little bit and are feeling good about themselves mm -hmm. he's talking about jake debrusque <laughs> <laughs> who's one of the comeback players of the year <laughs> right who who, who uh, like, I think during, it's a fascinating uh, answer the, the whole the, the, this yeah. whole this whole q a is like this this whole q a it's great q and it's really well done wish it's really Thank good you. man yeah i mean like you mean the guy Anyhow. who had requested a trade for every year that the coach had been there until the coach left and then he's not requesting a trade <laughs> anymore that guy that guy <laughs> and then David, and then David Krejci, like, and Krejci comes back, and 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 and. and. Yeah. Anyway, um, I mean, you just you just made a hell of a Jack season. Adams case. You just made a hell of a Jack Adams case for Montgomery beyond the record of the team. Just like showing up, just like being there, makes him coach of the year. I've listen. I've I, I've I've pointed out there's there's there was one moment. I've said it a couple of times here on the show. There's one moment that I looked at very specifically and said. Boom, that's the Montgomery effect with the Boston Bruins. It was an overtime. It was Boston and Detroit. And Hampus Lindholm grabbed the puck behind his net mm -hmm. and went the length of the ice. And I said to myself, in a Bruce Cassidy universe, I'm not sure that Hampus Lindholm does that. Yeah. That's why That's why the minute that, you know, Dmitry Orloff shows up in Boston, it becomes Dmitry Bobby Orloff. People are surprised. and like, you ain't paying attention to what's happening with Lindholm and yeah. McAvoy this year. Like, that's how this guy operates. And it's worked. Yeah. It's one of the reasons they became a juggernaut. They're a good hockey team. But here's the here's my spicy take, by the way, on the Bruins. I haven't shared this with you yet. Okay. I'm What's taking up? the field. I'm taking the field in the playoffs. Like, hey, listen, so... I was talking I was talking to someone at the rink last night. Yeah. I was taking I was talking to someone at the rink last night. How would you feel about an Ottawa Boston first round matchup? Well, that's just it, dude. Like Ottawa Boston would be would be a grind. Like Ottawa on the forecheck is just a lot of fun to watch when 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 they can get it going and when they don't poo the bed like they did in Chicago the other night. But like, think about yeah, think about that, that journey for Boston, right? Like, don't forget that there's still a statistical chance they could end up playing the Penguins in the first round. And I know that we're all chanting fire Hextall and the Penguins are cooked and what have you, but. It is a scant one season ago that we almost saw Sidney Crosby will his team to a series win over the New York Rangers with a third-string goaltender. And he probably would have done it if he didn't get hurt. So, I mean, you have to get through that obstacle. The three other best teams in the NHL behind the Bruins are all in the Eastern Conference, as are the Rangers, who made the conference final last year, as are the Lightning, who have made the last three Stanley Cup finals. <laughs> I know that we are portraying the Boston Bruins as this juggernaut, and trust me, they are. They're very, very good, but man, the there's a reason we had yeah. an arms race last week, dude. These guys, these teams know that while the Bruins are big and scary, we're going to knuckle up and muscle up and go for it because 
it's a pretty strong mm-hmm. conference, and there's a very good chance the Bruins might not even make the conference final, depending on their journey. So speaking speaking of um, the arms race in the East and the loading up, what we saw was I want to get your thought on 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 this one. And I, again, like I know I'm shooting myself in the foot here, but here I go. Um, oh. The least trade trade deadline day of trade deadline week was trade deadline day. Yes, and I'll be honest with you. I think the league is better off for it. I think it made for a much more interesting um, dynamic around the National Hockey League because going back to, I don't even know when you want to kick it off. You want to say like maybe, you know, the Bo Horvat deal started the trade deadline time frame for the NHL or do you want to get more specific and say like when Winnipeg got Nita Ryder on that Saturday afternoon, uh, that began trade deadline week or however we want to frame. Maybe it's the Orloff Hathaway deal on the Friday. Mm-hmm. I don't know. However you want to frame frame this thing. Um, I think this was, as much as we looked at trade deadline day and said, yeah, you know what, Psh, not, a, not a whole lot there. Um, not a lot of big d- names moved. I think this was the best trade deadline time that we've seen in a long time. Without question. Like, I if really, you, if really you believe stack- that. Like that was that was fantastic. If you stacked up all those trades on one day, we'd be calling it the greatest deadline in the history of hockey. Like that's the amount of, of volume and big names of all time that, that moved. I have so I have two theories on this. I read I read a story about the trade deadline with some GMs talking, and I was surprised that third party brokers didn't come up. Because I think that was one of the definitive things of the deadline. And frankly, one of the reasons why so much action happened early. Hear me out. If you're looking to make a trade and you need a third-party team to jump in like the Minnesota Wild did and other teams did, you you have to, one, figure out how much that's going to cost you. And two, you have to find the teams that are able to do it and make sure that you're ahead of the the curve where those teams are going to still have their salary slots open to help you facilitate a trade. So I think the third-party broker thing on some of these deals was one of the reasons why they happened so early is because they had teams had to make sure that they had teams, a third team to facilitate some of this stuff. So I, I think that was a huge impact on this trade deadline. And then the other thing, um, yeah. as far as the impact on the trade deadline goes, is I, I really do think that the Horvat trade, from from what I've talked, I've heard from some GMs, was that huge first domino to fall, and now. Now people are reordering what centers are available, what we can get, how, what's going to cost us. And, and and Lou getting out as early as he did on that Horvat deal, I think just kind of like it was like a magnet for everything else getting kind of drawn towards it and away from deadline day. Okay, so uh, put you on the spot here. Did this on the show on, I think, Monday. I'm going to put you on, on the spot here. So mm-hmm. players that were traded on deadline day, going back to 7980. <laughs> Okay, going back to mm-hmm. seventy nine eighty, which player in the remaining games of the schedule after getting traded again on deadline day put up the most points for his team? Oh my God, I have no idea who was it. Peter Mueller, come on down of the Colorado <laughs> Avalanche, twenty points wow. in fifteen games. Last wow. year was Andrew Kopp, who had a really good time. I know, yeah, right? He had, a, he had a really good time with the Rangers. Kopp did yeah. 18 points in 16 games. That was awesome. But there's, a, like, dude, like, there's a whole lot of, you know, Robert Reichel, 19 points. Brian mm-hmm. Campbell, Lee Stempniak, Jeff Halpern, uh, Steve Tambellini, Wojtek Volsky. 
we've talked about this before. It's not always the big name that goes at deadline that has, you know, the, the biggest impression on the team. To which end, I will submit the name if we're going to go with a, it was the quietest, sneakiest move, but paid off the biggest for a team. I'll put forward and lead with Ivan Barbashev of the mm-hmm. Vegas Golden Knights. You with me or against me? No, I think that was a really smart move. A really smart move for them. Um, because he could play a lot in a lot of different situations and uh, and adds an element to that lineup that I like. Oh, what has he got so far? I haven't even checked. Oh, he had the pair. Hang on, hang on. We actually do work here. Jeez, Greg. <laughs> had the pair had the pair against Montreal. Hold on here. I'm gonna grab your Ivan Barbashev information in two seconds. Uh, he has five points in five games, two goals and three. There assists. you go. There you go. Point per game player, as we all as we all predicted. <laughs> and brings an uh, brings that again, like the the sidebar to so much of this at trade deadline was teams want to get snarlier, teams want to get nastier, teams want to get more aggressive um, for the uh, for the playoffs. Like you look at what Boston did, you look at you know what Tampa did with Tanner Janot, you look at how you know Tyler Bertuzzi goes to the Bruins as well. Now Bertuzzi and Hathaway and Marchand on the same team, and like oh my god, playing against this team is going to be miserable. And then there's Vegas, who mm-hmm. says you know what we got a guy that can score. We got a guy that can knock you out of a round in Ivan Barbashev. How? He's done it before, case in point, Colorado and Sam Girard. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it was a good pickup. How, uh, where were you on Calgary? Because I, they were my biggest disappointment at the deadline just because they couldn't really define yeah. who they wanted to be. And to, I know that you know we just handed out the report cards. I think, I think Kristen Shilton gave uh, Florida an F for maybe the same sort of thing. But for me, like the biggest yeah. thing for me was Calgary. Like I, I, I feel like Washington, St. Louis, and Nashville all were able to look into the mirror and define who they are and define what they wanted to do with their roster with regards to next season. Yeah. And then Calgary decided to stay the course, but at the same time also didn't improve. So they were like stuck in purgatory, and that really annoyed me. Yeah, I get it. I, I think that um, a couple of things. I looked at Calgary and I said, how many bad seasons does the team have to have before the general manager decides that the team is in fact bad? Like I look at the Calgary Flames and I say, this is a team that seems stunned at how the season has gone. Stunned at what's happened to Jacob Markstrom, who by the way was outstanding last night against Minnesota, but we'll park that, hasn't had a good season. I wonder if Brad Treliving, and that's another sidebar too, because he's without contract next season as we speak right. right now. I don't know if that's you know his choice, team choice, don't know. Um, I wonder if this is Calgary just saying, let's not overreact. We've brought in a whole bunch of new faces. Let's not overreact to one bad season. Now, complicating that even further, Greg, is the fact that next season – whether it's Lindholm or Backlund or Hannafin, like go down the list to Foley, there's expiring contracts. Right. And then will the Calgary Flames find themselves right back in the Johnny Gaudreau mess, <laughs> essentially? Well, so I yeah, think Calgary's but, but stunned, and I, think, I, think, I don't think that Calgary wants to overreact to one bad year. Except, except you can because it's not the same team. That's, the, that's the, the wrinkle on this. Like it's one thing to say our core of, of players is reliable – 
Um, we are suffering through an uncharacteristically down season, and we shouldn't overreact to that. Like, you know, like like when Tampa lost to Columbus, right? Like, like don't blow up the core because of yeah. it. It happens. But this is fundamentally they did, a, though. They talked to they talked Tampa they, talked to Yeah, them. and they made Tampa the right decision. They made, they, they made the right decision. But but this is fundamentally a different team for Calgary. Like the the, the they were the team of Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau. Those guys are gone. And so I don't buy the idea that it's it's one down year for a team that otherwise should be trusted to be good because I don't think they're good anymore. I, I think once you lose over 80 goals from your lineup and they walk out the, do- the door, oh, and by the way, they're two like star players and you've scrambled as best you can to replace them, maybe the replacement was going to be mm-hmm. bubble team level. Maybe the replacement was never going to bring them to the heights of those previous incarnations of the team. So I do think you can overreact because I don't think this team is anywhere going to be as good as it was when those two guys were in the, in the, in the, on the franchise. Or do you look at as well, another thing you have to look at too is how many one-goal losses are there uh, in all of this? Uh, uh, what's their record in overtime mm-hmm. and shootout? as well like i think there's a few things that you, you look at too like listen i know everyone talks about oh look at uh they've they've won all these 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 one goal games they know how to play close games man one goal games sometimes are coin flip like mm-hmm. i'll take the team that wins like all their games by like three goals if you start sure. saying like oh no they know how to play one goal games no 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 no, i don't i don't that's like old school hockey logic by someone just looking to you know uh find up find a positive and what could be considered a negative here because that's like one extra shot or one pass that doesn't go off the heel or off the toe or you know one you know drag skate to keep a play on side so i, I think that goes into that mix too like i honestly greg i really think the calgary is just shocked and i think really the the big one too is just shocked at what has happened to Jacob Markstrom. Like, I think it's an overreaction to right. say that the Edmonton Oilers broke Jacob Markstrom. <laughs> I think that might be an overreaction, but that kryptonite does still exist there for, for Markstrom. And he, like, honestly, going back to that series, he has not been the same goaltender since. Although, again, last night, that's the Markstrom that we saw last season, like the runner-up to the Vesna, Jacob Markstrom. It's still in there somewhere, and I think that's <laughs> been the biggest. Well, and also Hubert, Huberto as well. Uh, but th- those those two things are the, the things that have really scotched the flames this year. But it's not as if they've been blown out a ton of times here. Like there's, right. still, like, there are a lot, there's still a lot of like one-goal losses. So I don't know that you can they're, overreact to that one. But I still do, tr- th- do think that they're shocked at this season. They're, they're 27th in team save percentage. Do you know who's behind them? This is the most remarkable thing of the season, I think. <laughs> the Seattle Kraken are 28th. And the, and the Los Angeles yep. Kings are 30th in save percentage as a team. And they're both ahead of, fl- of the Flames. Yeah. What a weird season in the Pacific. My God. Uh that one's been bizarre. Well, there's another one for you. What did you how did you uh how did you see Seattle's inactivity? With all that's fine. You know, due respect to you know Jacob, Jake, Jacob Magda, of course. But, they're um, <laughs> they're gonna they're, their whole modus operandi is get in, play a couple playoff games, see if you can make a little bit of noise. They're still playing the long game. Like like this is the season they had to have. They had to have a competitive, relevant season. They had to have a season where you're looking at Maddie Beniers and being like, okay, they're in very good hands for the next decade. You had to have a season of sort of mm-hmm. proof of concept, and I think they have it now. And now in this off season, I think that you can start really kind of pushing forward with a plan, upgrading some positions, 
and and making a, a real go of it next season. But this is fine. I, I didn't think they had to do much of anything this year. But of course, the real question is whether or not they're going to do much of anything going forward. Because if there's one thing that has lingered on the resume of Ron Francis, it is an inactivity <laughs> as general manager to push his team over the the, the hump, as it were, which was his, his uh, the knock on him while he was GM in Carolina. Some would just say that's good old-fashioned patience, Greg Wyshynski, and that is a virtue we should celebrate as to not rush things when they're not ready. You don't pull the, you know, you don't pull the, the cake out of yeah. the oven until it's done. Right. There, there, there's, there's patience, and then there's, <laughs> there's dying in the waiting room, which is what happened to half those Carolina teams you know what, that he had. The, you, know the, you know what the other one is, is um, when you look at, you know, we just talked about expiring contracts with the, um, with the Calgary Flames. Uh, how did you see the Winnipeg Jets? Like I thought we were, and I, listen, I get it. I know, you know, with no trade lists and Winnipeg's presence on, you know, a, a, a lot of them, I know that it's, you know, we've made the point before that, you know, Kevin Cheveldayoff may have the most difficult job as a GM uh, in the NHL because it's not as if, you know, everybody's clamoring to go to Winnipeg. But when you consider the expiring contracts that are coming up and you consider, you know, the nature of, you know, incredible seasons by players like, oh, I don't know, Connor Hellebuck, did you kind of look at Winnipeg and say, mm, I expected more out of the Winnipeg Jets? I, I did, but then I, I reconsidered that thought as this is a two-year window. And uh, as, as much as Pierre-Luc Dubois probably wants to play in Montreal, they control him for another, another season. Year? <laughs> I think he's going to have to, man. That's, that's, he's an RFA. I mean, like, like, if you thought you were going to lose him or you felt like you had to say goodbye to him. Don't you think they'd be, they would have been more aggressive than, than Nita Ryder and Nemestikov at the trade deadline? Uh, I do believe that. I, I do also think that they're going to get, you know, killed on this next one year deal. He's got, you know, he's arbitration eligible. And last time I checked, Pierre-Luc Dubois is a pretty good hockey player. Pretty good hockey player. Yeah. So you, you absorb, I, listen, you absorb that. And then you go into next season knowing what's ahead of you, which is that Wheeler's a UFA, Shifley's a UFA, Dubois a UFA. You make a go of it. Need a Ryder UFA. How many guys are you gonna walk to? How many, how many guys? You, how many guys are you gonna walk to to free agency and and not repl- like I, again? Like I come back to it here. Like the Winnipeg Jets are a are a team that signs players for term, and they want to trade mm-hmm. for players with term. Because it's not like they can just get frisky in free agency every summer. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a challenge, it really is. And you and can you afford if you're the Winnipeg Jets to walk that many players to free agency? I might say no. Well, or you might say that if if it doesn't come together within this season and next season, then you might as well just go in a different direction. They're kind of at that St. Louis Blues crossroad, right? Like like franchise mainstays are at UFA status. Like, I mean, I don't know. I, I think you make another go of it yeah. next year, and then you go to the next thing. You become the team of Ehlers and, and, and Perfetti and those guys. Not wrong. Um, you want to put a, a bow on this thing? Final thought for the day from uh, from Greg Wyshynski? <laughs> oh, you know, I, hang on. This is a, I didn't even ask you about the New Jersey Devils. How do I have you on here every week and not ask about the New Jersey Devils? Now, tough one last night uh, against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and I'm Oof. sure it sucked watching you know Mitch Marner strip Timo Meyer for that shorthanded goal. But uh, thoughts on the Devils as you look for a uh, look forward to a first round matchup with the New York Rangers, who have their own collection of question marks. 
Not not as not as frustrating as seeing Vitek Vanacek's save percentage over the last couple of games. That's it's really the whole ball game for them. I mean, I th- I think you know the Meyer trade will work out. He's still being integrated into the lineup, and and he'll be fine. Of course, they're so deep, they're so good. Their D is is strong. It it really is going to come down to whether or not they keep on getting the saves at the beginning of the regular season and the postseason. And if they do, they're they're going to be they could beat anybody. They could beat anybody in the East if they get saves. I, I truly believe that. Um, but last night was a was a, a an uncharacteristic one for them. Um, but better to get it out of your system now. Get it out of your system. Uh, listen, I encourage everyone to go read the Q and A that Greg did with Brad Marchand of the Boston Bruins. It's excellent, and it's one of the like it's one of the most interesting subtext, not just <laughs> over because he's blunt about a lot of things, mainly all, but. Read in between the lines uh, because it's it, it's interesting to do so on, on some of the answers here from, from Brad Marchand. Uh, great stuff, Wish. We will talk in seven days, sir. Appreciate it, bud. Take care, everybody. There is. Greg Wyshynski from ESPN joins me every Wednesday here for a little ah, do it all over again. Let's run it back one more time. The old MVSW podcast that we all loved.